let's join superintendent as she discusses Pergamus Church. Blessings upon my brother and sister. This is Superintendent Janice Battersby greeting you once more on behalf of Shekinah Worship International Ministries, Shekinah Worship Center, Bermuda, where our pastor is Reverend Dr. Maria A. Seaman. Coming to you one more time with another installation of Insights with Soup. Superintendent, that's me. I've been sharing with you with regard to the book of Revelation. We've been doing a really wonderful study called Escape the Coming Night with Dr. David Jeremiah. And so we thought we would just share some little insights from the lessons that we're doing. And so this time around, we're going to share about the church at Pergamos. Now, just to give you a little background, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, was given a vision while he was in prison on the Greek island of Patmos, and he was put there for preaching about Jesus Christ. See, the Romans didn't like anybody preaching about anybody but Caesar back then. And so whenever someone started preaching about another king and kingdom, they got thrown into prison or worse. While John was on this island, he received a vision from the Lord and he was told to write it down. And that's what the book of Revelation is. We think of it as a book. It's actually letters that were written to seven churches in that area of the world at that time, Asia Minor. And we've been studying the different letters and why they were written to these specific churches. Now, just as a broad overview, these churches, there were seven of them. Out of the seven, only two received a good report. These are churches now, don't forget. The other churches, most of them had some good traits, but they also had some traits that pretty much canceled out anything good. And the Lord was speaking to these churches and telling them basically to get their act together, that he would come and remove their ministry if they didn't sort themselves out. And so this study that I'm just going to comment on for a little bit is to the church at Pergamos. Now, Pergamos, and I've got my notes, so I'm going to refer to them. Let me tell you, the book of Revelation is an exciting, deep book to get into. But once you understand, everything comes alive. Everything you see today happening comes alive through the book of Revelation. So the church at Pergamos, in our study, it's called the Church of Satan's City. Isn't that intriguing? The church of Pergamos was the most northern out of the seven cities. Now, if you looked at a map as to where these churches are, they actually form kind of a circle. And the church at Pergamos was at the northern tip of the circle. It was the capital of the Roman government in Asia at that time. It was built on a hill and the library at Pergamos was second only to the library of Alexandria in Egypt. Now, John saw a vision of Christ in all his glory and Revelation chapter one describes some of the attributes of what John sees. You couldn't really put this into a person. It just wouldn't work. But when you see the attributes, and I challenge you to 
read it and, and see what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into it now because I won't even touch Pergamos if I was to talk about that. But each one of the attributes of Christ was, each one of them was given to each individual church as this letter addressed this particular church. And to the church at Pergamos, Jesus was described as he who has the sharp two-edged sword. The sharp two-edged sword, which we understand today is the word of God. It cuts and it heals. You'll find people don't want to be listening to the gospel because it convicts them. But when you get past the conviction, if you stay and let God really show you where you can be doing better and you hang in there, it heals and you become the person that God created you to be. So this was a designation that was given to the church at Pergamos. And like I said, most of these churches had good stuff going on, but they had a negative that canceled out the positive. Now, where the church at Pergamos is concerned, they had three good things going for them and one bad. And the fourth thing, number four, that was not good was actually life-threatening to this church. The three good characteristics of the church at Pergamos. He knew the circumstances of their faith. Now, these are the people that were in this church. He knew that they were living in a city that was not conducive to the spiritual growth. There was rampant paganism in the city of Pergamos. The altar to Zeus was there. There was also the temple to Asclepius. Now they had the, the road of the gods and they had different temples for different gods in Pergamos. And one of them that Dr. Jeremiah points out was a temple. It was a temple to Asclepius, the god of healing. And the symbol for this God was a snake coiled around a rod. And they actually called him Asclepius Sotar or Asclepius the Savior. Now, if that's not an out and out thumbing the nose to God, I don't know what is. I haven't seen them so much now. <laughs> well, you know what? Let me take that back. In this era of coronavirus, now that I think of it, you see it quite often, especially on TV, a snake coiled around a rod, which is supposed to signify health. I remember growing up, I never understood why a snake would signify health. But after understanding this, I get it now. We've got to worship God. In this era of coronavirus, you're watching people almost worshiping doctors and nurses and first responders. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate everything that they are doing. They're putting their lives on the line for those who are uh, suspected to be ill, those who don't even know it. You go to the doctor, you don't know what you have. And I'm not just talking about coronavirus. Our doctors, nurses, first responders put their lives on the line. But we should not worship them. And we've got to be very, very careful about that. Or we'd be falling into this same trap of worshiping Asclepius. God also knew the conviction of their faith. God knew that while these people lived in this, this city that worshiped other gods, they were still holding on to what they had been taught. 
Now, remember, the disciples, after Jesus died and he ascended into heaven, they went out and they spread the gospel and they started out healing churches. And so that's what we read about when we read the books of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These are letters and accounts of happenings going on while the disciples went to these different areas to start up churches. And so in Pergamos, this church was holding on to what they had learned about Christ, even though everybody else was worshiping other gods. Hear what I'm saying? They weren't following the crowd. They were standing on the gospel that they had heard and believed. He also knew the courage of their faith, that people were being martyred. Uh, they were witnesses, and the word martyr aligns with the word witness. So people were being killed for their faith. I mean, horrible, horrible deaths. They were being boiled in oil. They were being sawn in half. They were being thrown to the lions. They were crucified. There was horrible things that were going on because they would not worship Caesar. And even one of their, it's believed to be the pastor of that church, Antipas, it's spoken of. And I will say that this reference, we're referencing Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is specifically addressing the church at Pergamos. And it is believed that Antipas was the pastor of the church at that time. And he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And so God knew the courage of their faith. He knew the circumstances of their faith, where they lived, what they were surrounded by, the conviction of their faith, that they were standing on the word. And he knew the courage of their faith, that even though people were being martyred, witnesses, the faithful were being martyred, they were still standing on the word. So those were the good things. It was a good church, but, and here's the but, he knew the compromise of their faith. He told them that they were allowing the doctrine of Balaam to exist in their church. Now, to learn about Balaam, you've got to go back to the Old Testament. Balaam was a false prophet. Actually, he was, he was a prophet and he would actually hear from God. But the problem with Balaam was he wanted to get paid for what he did. People would come to him and they would pay him to get a word. And he actually heard from God. <laughs> he was, in fact, the, the only Gentile prophet that heard from God. Uh, he was paid by Balak, the king of Moab, who at the time was afraid because the Israelites were coming up from Mount Sinai and they were going into the promised land and they had to pass through Moab or they wanted to pass through Moab. And Balak was afraid of him because he had heard how God had done all these things and he wanted them to be cursed. So he paid Balaam to curse Israel. Long story short, three times Balaam tried to curse Israel and he wound up blessing them. He opened his mouth to curse them and out came blessings. So Balak got angry at Balaam because he didn't do what he was paid to do. Balaam 
said to Balak, okay, if I can't destroy them like this, this is how you destroy them. You let the men have sexual relations with the Moabite women, and that will destroy them because God does not want the Israelites to be messing with people of other nations. And so that's exactly what they did. The men had sexual relations with the Moabite women, and God was angry with them. And I believe it was 70,000 of them died because of it. So the doctrine of Balaam is if you cannot curse them, corrupt them. Make them compromise their standards. And this is what the church at Pergamos was doing. They had the doctrine of Balaam and they also had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which was pretty much elitism within the church. You had a, the clergy over the laity in an oppressive way. There was not a fellowship. There was this class system that was going on in their church. So much legalism. It's like the Romans had come and tried to mix their beliefs with the Jews. There were some people in the church at Pergamos who said that they were Jews, but they really weren't. But they were trying to bring this oppressive way of worship into the Pergamos church. And God did not like it. He told them, I don't like this. In fact, what he told them was to clean up this mess or I will come and fight against the guilty ones with the sword of my mouth. Now I'm paraphrasing it, but that's pretty much what he said. This is compromise. This is a church, don't forget. This isn't outside of the church. This is the church. So said then, so said now. That we have to be mindful and careful to know the word of God and to follow the word of God. And it's hard today because the world has compromised so much of the church. And you have churches who are accepting things that God hates. If you read God's word with understanding, you cannot stand for so much of what you see churches doing now. The, the gay agenda, they're, they're celebrating that in churches when God has said throughout his word. You can see, if you read his word for understanding, you will see exactly how God feels about the same-sex situation. And how can churches accept that? But this is mankind. You know, what the enemy told Adam and Eve was that if they ate the forbidden fruit, their eyes would be open and they would be like God. Well, here's mankind now trying to be not only like God, but to be God and set up their rules in church. Well, we see here in the, at the Church of Pergamos that God will not tolerate it. And yet God is merciful because he's sending a warning to them. He's identifying what they did right. He identified what they did wrong. And he's saying, clean it up or I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with those who are guilty. So we need to take this personally, not just in churches, but in our own hearts. The one thing that we are doing in these studies is we are taking each church and we're learning about the church in a historical context but we're also learning about the church in our own personal context, personal application. Am I like this? Self-examination. And also 
looking at our churches today, are we following along the same path? Are we a Pergamos, church-wise and individually? But God also says that if the people obeyed him, there's three things that he would give them. One is the hidden manna. And the manna, if you recall, was the food that the Israelites ate while they were in the desert for 40 years after leaving Egypt. That's all the food that they ate. God supplied them every morning with fresh manna for that day. So for us, we need to prefer the word of God over anything else. God will give us all that we need when we seek after him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things are they? Well, if you read back in the scripture that I just gave you was Matthew 6, 33. But if you read before that, you'll see it's whatever we eat, whatever we, we wear. These are the things that God is going to provide when we delight in his word. So God was going to give them the hidden manna. Not everybody can eat this manna. Not everybody can have the benefits that you get when you give yourself over to the Lord and his word. To the other overcomers, he would give a white stone. Now back, we learned in this study that uh, in courts, they would use white and black stones to judge someone. The black stone meant that you were convicted. The white stone meant you were acquitted. Now I'm not going to get all racial on this. History is history. But God is going to give us an acquittal, forgiveness of our sins, everlasting life with him. These are the things that we need to seek after. And then he's going to give us a new name written in glory. And one day I want to receive my new name. So these are the things that we learned about regarding the church at Pergamos. Now I wrote something here with regard to the problems of Pergamos lived out in history. And it says Diocletian, the evil Roman emperor died and Constantine won control of the empire. He decided the whole empire should become Christian and declared it to be so. This unholy marriage of church and state resulted in Christianity being forced upon people, almost like emperor worship had been. With all the official recognition of Christianity by Constantine, there remains no evidence that he was actually a born-again Christian. It was legalism. Okay? Pagan temples became churches. Pagan holidays became Christian holidays. Pagan statues became Christian icons and pagan priests slipped into positions of Christian influence. The marriage of the church and state was underway and the Pergamene period of church history was born. The world entered the church with the blessings of the emperor. The warning for us today is never to bow to anyone but Christ. Never compromise our faith. We can do lots of good things for Christ, but bringing the world into the church can be the beginning of the end. What a lesson. Let's not repeat history by not knowing history. We invite you to join us 
in our study of the book of Revelation. Send us an email at swim at logic.bm. Swim at logic.bm. Let us know you want to be a part of our study. And we would surely welcome you in. We'll be in touch with you and let you know how you can be a part of this study. Escape the coming night. Blessings abound. Thank you.